0: Good morning, Christ. Prez. Our scripture reading today is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Hear the word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common This passage gives us a little snapshot of the life of the early church shortly after it had been filled with the Spirit at Pentecost. When God sends his Holy Spirit, the first thing the Spirit begins to do is to build a new community. God's intention isn't to save individuals in isolation from each other, but rather to create a people who know God and love each other and spread the good news of his salvation throughout the world. If we were to ask Luke, the author of Acts, the question, what does a spirit filled church look like? He'd probably say something like, well, let me tell you about what happened right after Pentecost. Let me tell you what the first spirit filled church looked like. And then he'd go on to tell us about a church that loved every which way. They loved up, they loved in, and they loved out. As soon as the early church was filled with the spirit, it gave itself to the work of love. It committed itself to these relationships, a life with God, a life together, and a life for the sake of those who are not yet part of the believing community. It's love every which way, up, in, and out. They love God, they loved one another, and they lived on mission because they loved the world. Let's look at each of these. You know, first, the Holy Spirit created a community that loved up. They loved God. How do we see this upward love expressed in our passage? Well, for one thing, we're told that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? The Greek word that gets translated devotion is a word that carries with it the idea of persistence, perseverance. You know, when you're devoted to something, you occupy yourself with it continually in an ongoing kind of way. So we shouldn't imagine the early church coming together once or twice for some good instruction from the apostles. No, Luke is asking us to envision devotion to the apostles' teaching as a regular rhythm, of the early church's life together. It was their regular practice and priority to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. So we can assume that this was happening when they gathered together in a larger assembly for corporate worship, but we can also assume it was happening throughout the week in all kinds of smaller gatherings. They didn't give sporadic attention to the apostles' teaching, they devoted themselves to it. But still, that doesn't really answer the question, what does it mean that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching? Who were the apostles? Well, the apostles were just the men who had seen the risen Christ and who had been authorized by Jesus to be his witnesses. They they were the ones entrusted with bearing the message about Jesus. And simply put, the apostles' teaching was Jesus' teaching. You know, remember, think, think back to the Great Commission. Jesus, at the end of The gospel according to Matthew writes, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus is basically saying, go teach them what I taught you. Teach the good news about me and the kingdom. That's what the disciples were teaching. They were teaching this gospel message. Since back then, the apostles were living and breathing. The church could literally sit under their teaching. You could just go listen to guys like Peter and James and John teach. Well, we can't do that. But we can still sit under the apostles' teaching. How? Well, we have the Bible. For us, devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching means devoting ourselves to the teaching of Scripture. It means devoting ourselves to the Word of God. John Stott puts it like this. The Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the word of God. What does that look like? First, we need to learn the teaching. We need to know what the teaching is. You know, the early church devoted itself to knowing the content of the gospel. They studied God's word. They gave themselves to the task of understanding Christian doctrine, which, by the way, is the actual word that gets used here. You know, we tend to think of doctrine as being cold and dead, analytical, abstract, but Luke tells us that the first thing God's people did when they were empowered by the Holy Spirit was that they devoted themselves to doctrine. The early church believed that there was real truth to be known about God and about God's world and about God's plan for the world, and they devoted themselves to understanding it. Here's John Stott again. He writes, quote, Those new converts were not enjoying a mystical experience which led them to despise their mind or disdain theology anti-intellectualism and the fullness of the spirit are mutually incompatible because the holy spirit is the spirit of truth nor did those early disciples imagine that because they had received the spirit he was the only teacher they needed and they could dispense with human teachers on the contrary they sat at the apostles feet hungry to receive instruction and they persevered in it Close quote. some of you may think well Christian education and Bible study and theology and doctrine, that's just not really my thing. And I want to say, maybe make it your thing. I mean, let's resolve as a church, as a congregation, to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Studying and learning ought to be one of the regular rhythms of our life together. We need to know what the Bible says. We need to learn the teaching. But we're also called to live the teaching. Learning the teaching is the place to start, but we can see that the early church didn't just learn the doctrine, they lived the doctrine. They didn't just study God's word, they submitted to it. Their theology wasn't only for their minds, it shaped their entire lives. you remember how Jesus ended his sermon on the mount? He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. See, it's not enough just to know God's word. It has to be lived. Knowing God's word is only valuable to to the extent that it leads to living it. And so imagine a community coming around God's word and not being content with just hearing it, but always asking the question, all right, how are we going to live this out in our context today and tomorrow and the next day? Don't be content with just mastering the content of the Bible. Let scripture master you. Submit to it. Do what it says in your small groups and in your friendships. Challenge each other with the question of how are you going to live this out? How are you going to obey God's word? In the particulars of your day-to-day life. Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. Learn the word and live the word. Study it and submit to it. All of that, family, is the work of love. You know, we don't always associate studying God's word and submitting to it with love, but we should. Jesus says, The one who has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. See, these things are just so closely linked in Jesus' mind. Obedience with love. Let's devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. That's one of the ways that the early church loved God. That's one of the ways that we're called to love God. Well, here's another way. the er- Another way that the early church loved up. They worshiped together, and they worshiped together often. Verse 47 tells us that they were praising God, and they were doing this not just in the temple, but also in their homes and around meals. They were doing this day by day. Their worship certainly would have included the apostles' teaching and prayer. It also looks like it included the Lord's Supper in some kind of regular way, probably as part of a regular meal. That's probably what is meant by devoting themselves to the breaking of bread. So the early church, they adopted specific practices, study and obedience and worship. And these practices helped them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. These practices created the rhythm of their life together. They structured their life together in a way that expressed this deep commitment they had to loving God. You know, this past year has been so disruptive to some of our regular rhythms of loving God. And I wonder, what's your plan for recommitting to the habit of loving God by worshiping with his people this year? The Holy Spirit creates a community that loves God, that loves upward in these ways. The early Christian community also loved in. They loved one another. Well, where do we see that in our passage? Luke tells us that they devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, fellowship is kind of a churchy word, isn't it? I mean, you hear fellowship and you either think of potlucks or you think of hobbits. But what does fellowship mean? I mean, literally, it just means sharing in common. This was a community committed to sharing their lives with one another. Um, Look at verse 44. All who believed were together together and had all things in common. See, what are they sharing in common? They're sharing in common all things. They're sharing the fullness of their lives with one another. One of the commentaries puts it like this, they were committed to the practical art of sharing life with each other at all levels. So this is deep sharing. The, the picture Luke paints suggests that the early church was more or less being the church together every day across all of life, and they were learning together, eating together, worshiping together, praying together, taking care of each other's practical needs, taking care of each other's kids, I imagine. I mean, they were doing these things in larger corporate gatherings, but they were also doing them day by day in each other's homes. You get the impression that the early church had a real sense of responsibility for one another. They organized their lives so that they were together and had all things in common. That's how they expressed their love for each other. When you think of the word church, I wonder if that kind of community is what comes to mind. Probably not. I mean, it's most common today to to think of church either as a building or as a weekly event that we attend on Sunday mornings. And so often we approach church as if it's one of the many activities we have to juggle in our busy lives. So we have family, and we have school, we have our jobs, our hobbies, we have our pets, our sports, and then we also have church. It takes its place as just one of many activities and responsibilities. But here in Acts, and throughout the New Testament, the church is much more central to Christian identity. See, church isn't something we do, it's something we are, and, and which is meant to give shape to our whole lives. So what, is, what does that look like? Here's how one author puts it. Major, this is a quote, uh, major events have a role to play in church life, but the bedrock of gospel ministry is low-key, ordinary, day-to-day work that often goes unseen. Most gospel ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Whether it is helping a friend, working at the office, or going to the movies, there is a commitment to building relationships modeling the Christian faith, and talking about the gospel as a natural part of conversation." See, ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. A lot of us lead full, busy lives. Uh, Many of us don't live near each other, and so even trying to imagine what it would look like to be church together more consistently uh, is a challenge. But I'd encourage us simply to look for more opportunities to eat together, to study scripture together, to pray together, uh, to just have fun together, doing ordinary stuff. But all of that with the intention of being open to Jesus and to encouraging each other in him. Sharing our lives with each other is one of the ways we love in. The early Christian church also loved out. They loved people who were not yet part of the community Uh, This is to be expected. The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit sent from the Father and the Son, and this missionary spirit creates a missionary community that exists for the sake of being sent out into the world. What does that look like? I mean, in some cases, it might mean calling individuals to pack their bags and travel overseas to share the gospel in a far-off land. It could mean that, but it also just might mean the missionary work it is right next door, like simply loving people in our ordinary everyday lives with the intention, with the hope, with the prayer that they come to know and follow Jesus. And that's what the early church was doing. They loved God and they loved each other, but they always had the outsiders in view. They never lost sight of the fact that um, the good news of God's salvation was not only for them, but for the whole world. They knew that the goal wasn't the church sitting around enjoying the benefits and blessings of Christian community. The goal was the good news of God's salvation spreading through every family, every marketplace, every business, every village, town, and city to the ends of the earth. So these early Christians, they loved God, they loved each other, but they also loved all the not yet Christians around them. They must have been constantly inviting outsiders to be part of their community. They must have continually been extending the grace of the gospel beyond themselves to their neighbors and co-workers and friends. Luke tells us that the Christian community had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were were being saved. Why do you think they had favor with all the people? Well, I imagine there were lots of reasons, but just think about the kind of lives they were living. I mean, They were a community of love, and their love was expressed through radical generosity and hospitality. They were welcoming people into their homes. They were sharing meals together. Uh, Whenever a physical need came up, it was taken care of by the church. I mean, there's something undeniably attractive and compelling about a group of people who love each other and care for each other like this. They loved every which way, up, in, and out. They loved God, they loved one another, and they loved those who are not yet part of their community. I wonder, family, how can we grow more this year into this vision of love? It's tempting to read this passage as a prescription for how to be a good church. If you want to thrive as a community, here's a checklist of the things you need to be doing. You got to make sure you're reading the Bible and worshiping, and you need to take care of each other and eat together together. And then, you know, you do that and a bunch of other things, and then you'll be a community that God has called you to be. And, you know, there's some truth to this. Part of growing more into the community God calls us to be is going to involve changing some of our practices so that we can develop new habits of generosity and hospitality to better express our love. But Luke isn't giving us a prescription for a good community, at least not primarily. I mean, primarily, This is a description of what happened when the early church embraced the gospel and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke isn't primarily giving us a list of things to do. He's describing a historical reality that flowed from God giving his son and spirit. See, if we just double down on community and mission, if we make community and mission our primary focus, we'll fail. So what do we do? Just two things let me suggest just two things. First, seek the Spirit. You know, the early church devoted itself to prayer. And remember, when we talk about devotion, we're talking about doing something with persistence and perseverance. I mean, prayer was just woven into the fabric of the early church's life together. And it was both formal and informal, Literally, the Greek says that they devoted themselves to the prayers, which suggests that they were still observing the Jewish practice of praying particular prayers at set times throughout the day. But we can also assume that they were, that they were praying together at other times on a more ad hoc basis. I think we need both too. We need times of routine, regular, organized prayer together. We also need to develop a reflex toward impromptu prayer. And we need to be praying for those people in our lives who don't yet know Jesus. Prayer needs to be our primary and central missionary activity. Why? Because all of this is God's work. Either he does it or it doesn't happen. So family, seek the Spirit in prayer. And then second, see the Savior. The early church devoted themselves to loving up, in, and out because they saw that God had devoted himself entirely to them. See, we'll be a community that can share all things in common to the extent that we see that God shares all things in common with us. God shows us the ultimate generosity, the ultimate hospitality. I love this passage from Martin Luther's work on the freedom of the Christian. He writes this, quote, The believing soul can boast of and glory in whatever Christ has, as though it were its own. And whatever the soul has, Christ claims as his own. Let us compare these and we shall see inestimable benefits. Christ is full of grace, life, and salvation. The soul is full of sins, death, and damnation. Now let faith come between them, and sins, death, and damnation will be Christ's, while grace, life, and salvation will be the soul's. For if Christ is a bridegroom, he must take upon himself the things which are his brides and bestow upon her the things that are his. If he gives her his body and very self, how shall he not give her all uh, that is his? And if he takes the body of the bride, how shall he not take all that is hers? It's this great exchange. It's this great sharing that works out entirely for our benefit and that leads Jesus to the cross. But this family is how devoted God is to us, that he would give his very life for us. God gives gives us himself, and in doing that, he welcomes us in to his own Trinitarian life. I mean, he shares with us all that is his, and it's all grace. And so, family, love every which way by saying that you are first loved every which way. Believe the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.